Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, We never saw anything like this. Well, uh, if you're anything like me um, and you grew up going to Sunday school, um, you, you probably know that story pretty well, and it really catches our attention, doesn't it? The, the crowded house, the four friends, not at all perturbed by this seemingly impenetrable wall of humanity, um, climbing their way to the top of the roof, digging their way then through the roof, and then lowering their mate down to the feet of Jesus. And some of us would have heard that story many times, but I wonder if we ever actually stopped to imagine what it would have been like to have actually been there. And even the messiness of it all. I mean, so imagine this. So, so Jesus is there preaching. He's in this house. He's preaching. People are around him. Now, we don't know exactly what he's preaching, but it might have gone something like this. Well, we're all here at the right time because the time is now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Today is a day for repentance. Today is a day for faith. Repent of sin. Turn from your evil ways and turn to God. Believe in God. Believe in the God of mercy and the forgiveness of sins. And then something distracting happens. We saw it here, bump, bump, bump on the, on the roof as somebody's climbing along on top of the roof. And being a, a thatched and mud type roof, you can imagine that there'd certainly be little crumbling bits of mud falling down and some people going, oh, somebody must have kicked a football up there or something. And then a rustling sound followed by a scraping sound coming up from up on the roof and then a bit of a digging sound and, and, and debris starts falling, not just, not just little flakes of mud. It starts out as little flakes of mud, but then there's more and more and people are looking up and getting it in their eyes and, and, and then snap, crack, and the sticks and the light timbers that are all part of the supporting structure of the roof get parted and down falls a great big lump of old thatch and dried mud. Probably hits somebody on the shoulder as it comes down and, and you're getting it all in your hair and you're dusting yourself off. <laughs> oh, what's going on? Hey, Simon, Andrew, is your house going to fall down on us or what? Uh, and then some, some wag says, oh, just as well as a carpenter here, he'd better fix that hole up before he goes. And as the dust clears, you then look up and there, gazing down at you through this gaping hole in the roof, are four faces. They disappear for a moment 
and then a paralysed man suspended by a rope is lowered down through the hole. Everybody's just looking up, absolutely amazed. What's going on? And even Jesus himself is marvelling. He doesn't say it at the time, but Jesus himself is just amazed at the faith of these men. And Jesus watches this man being lowered down. Maybe somebody might clear some of the debris and they make way for him in the crowd for him to, to land there. And Jesus looks down at him, at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What does that even mean? Uh, I forgive you for, for wrecking the roof? I don't know. I mean, how would you fellas feel if somebody wanted to get into your house and they took an angle grinder to the roof? It's pretty much the same thing. Um, now, for us modern people, we might instantly think, wow, what a disappointment that would have been. I mean, these blokes, they just went to all that effort to bring this paralysed man to someone who had the reputation for miraculously healing people and all Jesus gives him is a bit of forgiveness. And to us, that might sound like a disappointment, but there is a pretty fair probability that for the paralytic and for his four friends, that might have been exactly what they were looking for. You see, the Jewish understanding of the day was very much that the forgiveness of sins and healing went hand in hand. The Talmud, which isn't the word of God, by the way, it's just it's the Jewish writings that the teachers of the law studied as well as, as, well as the law, and it outlined the practical application of the law for them in their society. And the Talmud said, no one gets up from his sickbed until all of his sins are forgiven. All right, so... That was the teaching of the day. And it's, so it's very likely that for them, the act of them bringing this man to Jesus was so that he could repent of his sins as the first step in his healing. And that's not out of the ordinary. I mean, Jesus was preaching, repent, believe in the good news. So why wouldn't they bring their mate to him? Now, with our Western perspective, we automatically assume that the paralytic is looking for some kind of immediate healing, but it's highly likely that he came to repent. He came to the one who is preaching repentance as the first step of his healing, and maybe he came because he believed the good news that Jesus was preaching. And I sort of base these thoughts on the fact that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their belief. He knew that, that their faith was something different to what the crowds were demonstrating. The crowds were pretty much spectators at the time, just coming along for a look. And Jesus knew what this man's faith was. Right. When Jesus came to Capernaum the first time, uh, he ended up getting, having to get out of there because the crowds of spectators were overwhelming. Right? They were just flocking to him and they were just wanting to see more and more. They'd seen some of his miracles and wanted to see more. And so Jesus moved on to other towns because Jesus came to preach. Right? That was Jesus' main aim. That was his main purpose. That was his calling at that time to preach repentance and faith, to preach the good news. And, you know, that should always be the focus of the Christian church. In this era of the megachurch, it's becoming more and more about becoming more like a concert-like atmosphere of entertainment, sometimes mixed up with a little bit of good advice for living. 
But preaching repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ must always be the focus of the church. You know, many people will come along to the church church for a little while just to have a bit of a look and see. Um, some people will come to have a bit of a look at this God thing, get a bit of a taste of this church thing or get a taste of this Christianity thing because they sense they have some kind of need in their life, right? So there might be sickness, there might be a lack of direction in their life, there might be trouble in their marriage, they might be having a struggle with anxiety or depression or loneliness, uh, maybe it's financial hardship or, or maybe they're estranged from their kids or maybe they just feel like they're drowning in the everything that is the everyday messiness of life. And they feel, well, maybe God might be the answer for this. And so some people come along to church for a few months, but, but they're very quickly disappointed because their problems aren't all solved. And so, oh, well, I'll just cross that one off my list. I gave that God thing a go and I'll move on and try something else. And the whole time they missed what their greatest need was. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest problem isn't something external to us that we need to find a few more tools to help us to deal with it or help us to rectify it. Our greatest problem isn't external. Our greatest problem is internal. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a saviour. And the only one who can help us out with that is Jesus Christ. And as we become disciples of Jesus, and as we follow Jesus day by day, well, some of these other issues that annoy us will be sorted out. Uh, but first and foremost, our most pressing need is forgiveness of sins. And whether the paraplegic did come seeking healing, or whether he did come seeking forgiveness, it doesn't matter. Jesus straight away identified what his greatest need was. Forgiveness of his sins. Jesus' message has been repent and believe. And Jesus saw their belief. He saw their faith. So he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, at this point, we come to the first of five stories coming one after the other involving conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. Uh, this is where the tension first begins to build in the Gospel of Mark anyway. The tension begins to build here that will eventually lead to Jesus' crucifixion. The issue? The religious leaders were thinking to themselves, why does this man speak like that? Jesus has just forgiven the sins. Why does Jesus speak like that? He, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? They're actually pretty right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Oh, I can forgive you your sins when you sin against me. I, I can forgive you for what you've done to me. But when you sin against me, you also sin against God. And I can't forgive you for the sin that you've perpetrated against God. I can't forgive you of your sins against God. Nor can you forgive me of my sins against God. We can forgive each other. The only one who can forgive you of all of your sins is God alone. So if anyone else had presumed to forgive that man's sin on the behalf of God, well, they would have been blaspheming. The religious leaders would have been quite right. 
But because of who Jesus is, the Son of God, he himself is divine. He himself is the Son of God. He is God. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is about, revealing to us the Son of God. And that's how Mark introduces this gospel, right back in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, so he sort of like gives us an executive summary right there at the beginning. So we know what this gospel about is about. It's about revealing to us that Jesus is the Son of God. So we know that. But as we read this gospel of Mark, we're going to see... Jesus doing all of these things that are proving that he's not only the Son of God. That, that, sorry. We're going to see Jesus doing all these things, proving that he is the Son of God. But also what that actually means, that, it, that Jesus is actually divine. Jesus is God. But we're going to see, as Jesus does all these things, how most of the people missed it. Most of the religious leaders missed it. And people still miss it today. So, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses today, they don't believe that Jesus is God. Um, they believe that he's an angel. Um, whereas the scriptures are very clear, pointing this out. And this is what Mark is doing in this gospel, is proving to us that Jesus is the Son of God and divine. Right. Let's pick it up at verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So, right, so, so why did Jesus heal that paralyzed man? It was to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. Now, so was the paralytic paralyzed because of some horrendous sin that he'd done in the past? Well, I don't know. He doesn't tell us that. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, was he paralyzed simply so that Jesus could use him as a living, breathing example of Jesus' authority to be able to forgive sins, so that Jesus could heal him at that point in time? Is that why he's paralyzed? Don't know. We're not told. But what I do know is this. If I got what I deserved... I wouldn't only be paralysed, I'd be deaf. And my kids at probably at this stage say, well, you are dad. Um, I, I'd be blind. And my kids once again at this stage would say, well, you are coming, becoming blind, dad. Um, I, I'd be mute. Let's face it, I, I'd actually be dead. Don't right, you get this? If God had a practice of punishing us all in this life, for our sins, and if he did it by inflicting sickness, disease, disabilities, and hardship, there'd be nobody left to bury us all, because that's what we deserve. In Romans, it tells us 
what the wages of sin are. What, what, do the, what are the wages of sin? Death. All of the sins that I've committed in my life deserve death. Um, and yet when things go wrong, we tend to think, oh, what did I do to deserve this? Well, you did everything to deserve that. Um, when things go right, we should be asking, wow, what did I do to deserve this? Because we don't deserve the good. I, I used to visit a bloke at Warrawee, the old folks' home, and he wasn't a Christian, by the way. And he used to tell me stories about, he must have been a bit of a rogue in his younger days, and he used to do a few spiteful things. And he was telling me these things as stories, and he thought that I'd probably find them humorous, uh, these stories that he did. But they're things that actually hurt people a fair bit. And... Um, would have cost people a lot of money and it was just and he thought he was getting the better of people you know doing these things so he'd tell me all these stories but then in his next breath he'd tell me about all of his ailments and you know how he's getting stiff and sore and and he actually had a bit of a complication the week before and he had to spend a day in hospital and he's never had to go to hospital before why what why would he have had to go to hospital this time and he said to me why is God doing this to me what, what did I do to deserve all this? And, and I'd say to him, now, let me just clarify this. You're in your mid-80s. You've never been in hospital until now. Um, you've had one day in hospital and you're blaming God for doing something to you that you reckon you didn't deserve. And you know what? So many people are actually like that though, aren't they? You know, what, what did I do to deserve this? Now, scripturally... God sometimes does punish the wicked with sickness and disease and adversity, but not very often. Um, but these instances are meant to be a reminder to us that we are all going to be judged on the day of the Lord. Okay, so the first thing that I do know is if we, got, if we all got what we deserved, um, we'd be a lot worse off than being crippled. The second thing I do know is that the word of forgiveness from the Lord God Almighty is not an empty word. Uh, with forgiveness that comes power. Um, it come, with forgiveness comes healing and wholeness. Now, of course, spiritual healing is what's most important. But sometimes also in the mercy of God, he also grants at his discretion physical healing. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, unconfessed sin and ongoing sin is a barrier to our healing. Um, I've met some people, and I, I'd be willing to bet that you guys have too, met some people who have the view that any sickness and any disease is as a direct result of unconfessed sin, unconfessed personal sin. And so they would tell you, well, if you've been praying for healing and you haven't been getting healed, well, there must obviously be something wrong with you. There must be some sin in your life that's stopping God from doing the healing. Well, sometimes that is the case. But as I said before, if we all got what we deserved, we'd all be on our deathbeds. We'd all be much worse off than we are. Uh, the point is, the day of judgment isn't now. Um... The day of judgment is coming, though. In fact, it's obvious 
that mostly the wicked are not punished in this life. You've seen it as much as I have. and you have, You've seen people who you think, oh, they're a real rotter. And yet look at them. Nothing ever seems to go wrong for them. Um, and that's something that's been around forever. Jeremiah asked of God, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Job wanted to know, why do the wicked live, reach old age and grow mighty in power? In the Psalms, we see the observance of the prosperity of the wicked and it says, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Right? So far from seeing the wicked being punished, sometimes it looks like it actually might go better for them. Right? It's not normal for God to judge the sinful in this life. Sometimes he does, but not usually. And so the Lord's word of forgiveness is not an empty word. When we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus as Lord and follow him as our Lord, our forgiveness is very real and very powerful regardless of whether we receive physical healing or not. Some people might receive physical healing when they give their hearts to Jesus. Others won't. Does that mean that your forgiveness wasn't powerful? Not at all. The most powerful thing about our forgiveness is eternal life. The fact that we change citizenship. We change from being citizens of the kingdom of this world to becoming citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus' forgiveness is saving us from the day of judgment. And the third thing I know, and this is the best news of the lot, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. We don't have to go to a priest and ask forgiveness from the priest. He doesn't have to pronounce our forgiveness. Nor do we need to set our church up like a slaughterhouse. We can have church here in the sports club where we are today. We don't have to have it at a slaughterhouse where we can kill some bulls and some goats and some rams and, and some doves just so that we can get ourselves clean and then burn some incense or whatever else would need to be do, done. We don't have to do all of that to make atonement for our sin because the work has already been done for us on the cross. Jesus died for us on the cross. He gave himself as an atonement for our sins. And not only is Jesus the one who paid the price for our sins, he's also the one who has the authority to forgive us of our sins. And we don't only have the healing of this paralysed man to prove the authority of Jesus to forgive sins, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is all the proof that we need. But what we do with the proof of Jesus' authority to forgive sin, that's what matters. Last week we talked about the difference between being a spectator and a disciple of Jesus. Because uh, all these spectators were flocking to Jesus and the crowds were following him. Um, but they're just following him from place to place to see what he was doing. And the way we know that they're not disciples is how many were there with him at the cross when he died. They were spectators. 
the spectators there to have a bit of a look and maybe to have a bit of an experience. But a disciple of Jesus repents. A disciple of Jesus believes in Jesus and follows Jesus. And by healing that paralytic, Jesus gave them everything that they needed to be able to believe in him. And some people were changed by that incident. Uh, the paralytic and his mates, they were men of faith and they received what they needed. But although the spectators glorified God for a moment, right, they did glorify God when they saw this happen, but they still remained focused on what they saw. Do you remember what their comment was? We never saw anything like this. What we do with the proof that Jesus has authority to forgive sin is what matters. Let's believe it and let's respond to it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you have the authority to forgive sins. Sometimes we get fixated on our health or our circumstances or our physical needs or our need for rain and we neglect our greatest need of all, the forgiveness of sin. But Lord, we thank you that you didn't neglect this need. We thank you that you willingly gave yourself to be humiliated on the cross to free us from sin. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, your message is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we have so much we need to repent of. The way we followed our will instead of yours. We've been living as citizens of the kingdom of this world instead of citizens of the kingdom of God. We've been selfish, bitter, unforgiving, spiteful, vengeful. We've stored up treasures in this world instead of treasures in heaven. Lord, we realise we may refer to you as Lord, but we haven't truly submitted to you as Lord. God, forgive us. And Lord, as we repent and as we ask forgiveness in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness. It truly is a gift. And Lord, help us to always value this gift and to never devalue it. Be our strength as we go on as your disciples following you, because you are our Lord. And Lord, in your mercy, we also pray today for physical healing. If there be any here today that it is your will to heal, to give this physical healing to, then Lord, please do your mighty work. Lord, may you be glorified. May you be glorified in the forgiveness of sins. May you be glorified in the faith of the forgiven and may you be glorified in your gracious gift of healing. Lord, be glorified in us as we follow you, our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen.